Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in today for Mina Kim. Oil and gas production in California have been declining for decades, and now more than a third of unplugged onshore oil wells are sitting idle. A study out today from the think tank Carbon Tracker looks at the massive costs of decommissioning and cleaning up wells, and while you might think private companies should foot the bill, Their investigation finds that taxpayers might be on the hook for as much as $21 billion. We'll talk with one of the authors and a reporter from ProPublica, which is publishing coverage of the report today. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Well, as we all know, California has embarked on very ambitious carbon emission and green energy goals for more than a decade now, but we still use plenty of oil, gasoline, and natural gas, and some of that is pumped out of the ground right here. But gas and oil production in California have been declining for decades, and now more than a third of unplugged onshore oil wells are sitting idle. Hundreds of these wells have been abandoned or orphaned, as they say, especially in Los Angeles and Kern counties. Eventually, there's going to be massive costs for decommissioning and cleaning up wells. A study being published today by the think tank Carbon Tracker finds that while you might expect that private companies would or should foot foot the bill for that, in fact, taxpayers might be on the hook for as much as $21 billion. The report is called There Will Be Blood, Decommissioning California's Oil Fields. Joining us, the report's author, Dwayne Purvis. He's founder and principal advisor of Purvis Energy Advisors. Dwayne Purvis, good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Also with us, Mark Olalde. He is a reporter covering the environment in the Southwest for ProPublica, and they published some coverage of the report today. Mark, welcome to you as well. Thank you, sir. Let me begin with you, Dwayne. Give us the big picture here. Your report uh, finds that production rates have fallen about 42% in California since 2014, uh, and production from gas wells has fallen even further. So, Give us a big picture. What's the overall state of the oil industry in California right now? The California onshore industry was what I was looking at specifically, which is, of course, most of the industry. And it's really not a surprise, but the industry is in twilight. It is very late in its geologic maturity. Production is declining. And the end of life, the decommissioning phase, is now within sight. 
And so you say that, uh, you know, California is not out of oil, but uh, we are at the end of uh, economic production. What do you mean by that, economic production? Well, wells don't stop producing, Scott, when they have no more oil. They stop producing when they have no more profits. Whenever the revenue created no longer pays for the costs, then it stops producing. You know, in the recent decades, we saw oil price go from 20 or $25 to 70 to $90. And that was an enormous boom. It changed the economics and allowed a lot of wells to stay on a lot longer. But wells naturally decline with time. Their production gets smaller and smaller naturally. And that's the position that we're in now. Uh, thin margins. Um, they Some of the wells will produce for, for many years, but the margins are systematically thin. And so you looked in your reporting at these uh, wells that are orphaned wells, uh, ones that have been abandoned in some cases. Um, tell us about the dynamic, like who owns them at that point? Like, we, you know, you think of, you know, Chevron or Exxon being the big oil producers, but in fact, there, there are a lot of other companies involved, including ones that do the drilling and extraction, right? There are a lot of companies involved all the way through the, the value chain. In California, there are over 500 registered operators. The con- the operations are concentrated. Well, ownership is concentrated, uh, about 70, 75% in the top five companies. Uh, and those five companies are active and existing, and they're not orphaning wells, but companies that have gone defunct. That is to say, companies that no longer exist, that went bankrupt, um, those sometimes leave behind wells unplugged, and those become wards of the state, which we call orphans. And that's about 5% of the overall population of wells in the state right now. Uh, but there's a much larger population. Uh, that's part of a much larger population. 39% of the well bores in the state are currently standing idle, haven't produced for two years or more. And those are owned by a bunch of these big companies. Hmm. And Mark Alalde, as I mentioned at the top, uh, you know, California is, of course, selling more electric vehicles. There's a big push to phase out combustion engines. Is part of the equation here uh, that the demand for oil is going down in California, or is it just that we're getting it from other places? Yeah, you know, California still has 35, 40 million people and millions of cars and, uh, you know, one of the largest economies in the world. So, you know, there's still a huge demand. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's not it's not kind of analogous to say, hey, we pump oil in Kern County and then that's what goes in your car in San Francisco or in L.A. It's not, you know, obviously it's part of a global uh, supply chain. So it's not not that simple. Um, but but California's production and ability to produce never you know uh, never fully rebounded. You know it peaked in the in the mid '80s and has been falling ever since. And you know there was there was really a, a, a shale revolution in the past decade that that made America the largest producer of of uh, oil and gas in the world and really made booms in Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and North Dakota. And that just never materialized in California. So California is an old industry. Southern California has been pumping oil since 1892. Um, and, you know, there, there are just a number of geologic, economic, and technological factors 
that really have have pushed California specific industry into kind of twilight, as Dwayne put it. And Dwayne, you uh, you know looked at the costs of decommissioning, and, you know, plugging and then cleaning up these wells, and you said it could come out to as much as twenty-one billion dollars. Describe that process. I mean, is there are there what are the requirements? First of all, on the part of the private sector uh, in terms of participating in that process, um, and uh, you know, wh- how do the, how are those costs apportioned? Like, where do they go? What's the where, break down that twenty-one mm-hmm. billion dollars? So, the, generally speaking, the the process of decommissioning involves downhole operations and surface operations now, and then the same in the future. So, we have to put cement and mud in the wells, take the well head off, that kind of thing, so that fluids don't move along the wellbore. And then at the surface, we need to remove uh, all the equipment and clean up all the soil. Uh, the the sites and facilities need to be remediated. Those are the two large uh largest categories of costs and in in my estimate what i could quantify they were 7.2 billion for the downhole and 5.7 billion for the surface but then we uh have to add on to that and well in the case of my study there's additional costs where uh that we couldn't quantify and we've inflated and extrapolated for those but not in the report at all are the additional costs that have to be incurred in the future as wells fail and they must be replugged. Is there any kind of a, you know, for lack of a better phrase, a security deposit uh, that <laughs> these companies pay so that when it comes time to shut them down and clean them up, that the state or the county, whoever, can use that money that was set aside for, for those purposes? The only set aside that exists for most companies is what's called a, a performance bond or a plugging bond. And in the state of California, onshore operators have set aside $106 million in plugging bonds. Million. Levied against, million. <laughs> correct, million, levied against at least $13 billion in liabilities. Hmm. And Mark, uh, you cover these issues in the entire Southwest. This is not just a California issue, right? This study focuses on California, but there's a lot of oil production in the Southwest. Absolutely. And, you know, the the most important oil field in the world is the Permian, I I would argue, which is partly in New Mexico and partly in West Texas. California is fascinating, though, because California is – the leading edge of this, to borrow a phrase from uh, an environmental economist I, I interviewed for the story, what we're seeing in California is what we're going to see in the rest of the American uh, domestic oil and gas industry in, you know, a few years, kind of whatever that that future might be. So uh, they're, they're, you know, as, as, as Dwayne can speak to better than I can, there's kind of two subsets of wells in the country. You've got a lot of wells that are low producing and, and really are at this point where we should be plugging them. We should be cleaning them up. We should be remediating surface and water and everything else around them. And then you've got those high producing wells, uh, many of which are horizontally drilled, fractured wells, kind of fracking, if you hear that. And that's where a lot of the production is. That's where that boom is coming from that I that I spoke about earlier. But that's not really happening in California. That's happening elsewhere in the country. So those other kind of shale plays we see elsewhere in the country will definitely have a longer life um, than than California. And California is kind of the case study for saying, okay, if we don't fix it here, 
you know, this is what we're going to expect elsewhere. Yeah. Well, Duane, I thought I had read that among the states that are dealing with this issue, Colorado is the one state that actually is on top of it, that they've done a pretty good job of staying on top of the costs and, and having the money set aside. Uh, is that your understanding? Well, they've done a better job, Scott, but that doesn't mean a good job. They did start several years ago to redesign a system, uh, and they are in the process this year of negotiating functionally with oil companies to get greater assurances. And they have succeeded in increasing their assurances by, I think, two or two and a half times. Uh, But they're still... Uh, very, very far short of the estimated liability. They've they've gone up from something like $100 million worth of guarantees to $250 million of guarantees against several billion in liabilities. Well, I want to play a cut from Assemblywoman Wendy Carrillo. She's from Los Angeles, and her district includes quite a few of these wells. Uh, and uh, she has a bill uh, which is actually being heard today in the Assembly, uh, AB 1167, to require anyone uh, who acquires the right to operate a well to file enough money to, to start paying the cost. Let's, let's hear from her. My district um, has the communities of Echo Park and Silver Lake, amongst many others, whom at some point in the history of the city of Los Angeles had thousands of oil wells uh, up into the early 1900s. Those have are no longer there, but a large majority of those are orphaned and they're still open and they're still emitting gas to our communities, which is why we often have a correlation related to public health. So there you do hear some action in the legislature. We're going to come back and talk more about what the legislature, the governor uh, can do, or for that matter, counties can do to get their arms around this. We're talking about this report published today uh, and also uh, reported on by ProPublica, looking at the massive costs of decommissioning and cleaning up California's oil wells. We'd love to hear from you. What are your questions or reactions to this? Do you live near an unplugged well? Do you have concerns? Give us a call at... 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Or you can reach out uh, via email. It's forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and this week for Mina Kim. And this hour, we're talking about the potential cost to taxpayers for decommissioning and cleaning up abandoned oil wells in California. It's uh, all based on a study put out by Carbon Tracker. Dwayne Purvis, founder and principal advisor of Purvis Energy Advisors, 
wrote that report. It's uh, called There Will Be Blood, Decommissioning California's Oil Fields. Also with us uh, from ProPublica, Mark Olalde. He covers the environment in the Southwest and also has a story out today on this report. We'd love to hear from you. What do you think of these costs? Do you live near one of these uh, oil wells, either one that's active or abandoned, one of these so-called orphaned wells, in, especially in Kern County in Los Angeles? That's where so many of them are in California, although they are in other places as well. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQE. Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. Andy writes Is it true that California still does not have an extraction tax, oil extraction ta- tax? It seems like this could be a source of funding for these mitigation efforts. Uh, Dwayne Purvis, uh, I, that has been on the ballot. It was defeated. There was, of course, an enormous amount of money spent on both sides, but especially by the fossil fuel industry to defeat that tax. Uh, why, why is California an outlier in that regard? I couldn't tell you why, Scott, but I can tell you it is an outlier. I do not know of any other state that does not have some form of severance tax where the state captures a few percent of the revenue from the production. Yeah. Mark, what would you add to that? Because, you know, we seems like often California is at war uh, in some ways. Certainly this governor, Gavin Newsom, has taken on the oil industry, you know, bragging about, you know, well, actually, let me just play a quick cut of Gavin Newsom. This is after he signed a piece of legislation uh, that came out of a special session he called to deal uh, with uh, what, what at the time were really high oil, uh, gas, gasoline prices. And after he signed the bill, he, he said this. Well, there's a new sheriff in town in California where we bought big oil to their knees. To their knees, Mark Olalde. Um, <laughs> you know, in light of this report and, and so many other things, it doesn't really seem that is the case. What are, what are your thoughts about the dynamic between California's state government and the oil industry? You know, California and Governor Newsom have, have, have long talked a big game about how uh, how, uh, you know, vociferously they're going to go after oil. And, you know, they've, they, it's, it's, it's kind of the stereotype that California is incredibly green and, and hates anything that's a hydrocarbon. That's, you know, there's some truth to that, but there's also some untruth to that. Um, Newsom uh, really kind of was wishy-washy on the topic of oil uh, for a while, you know, we've definitely seen a change more recently, you know, potentially as there's been more talks about his national political aspirations, um, you know, but there's, I think Dwayne did a really good job in his report discussing the fact that uh, California's kind of green talk is a little bit overblown. The industry in California is not on its knees because of massive regulation. I mean, it is technological, it is geological, it is economics as well that are kind of getting in the way of oil in California. You know, if you look at SB 1137, this kind of buffer bill where millions and millions and millions of dollars were spent uh, to kind of put a 3,200 foot buffer between oil wells and communities, that's not the law right now. That is waiting on a ballot measure to be voted in 2024. Um, Kern County, where about three quarters of the state's oil industry resides, is very pro-oil and approves as many permits as it can. Uh, so, you know, their politics and, you know, kind of liberal politics and, and kind of the green movement 
has definitely impacted oil in California. There's no doubt about it. But to say that that has kind of that that's the reason that oil in California is is where it is 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 just not true. Um, the oil industry and oil lobbyists and trade groups have been very successful over the years in California in kind of protecting themselves. Yeah. Dwayne, given what you know about the oil industry in California, why would they care so much given, you know, this sort of twilight years that we're that they're facing? Why would they care so much about that setback law that they collected the signatures, put the money in to collect the signatures and put a referendum on the ballot given that the industry is in decline anyway? It's it's a interesting question, interesting paradox, Scott, because the the permit activity in uh, Los Angeles County, for example, was already substantially reduced from its levels years before. And there doesn't seem to be in most areas much of a compromise, much of a loss of opportunity, but it is still people's livelihoods. It's still their business. And those, those setbacks take away from them the opportunity to, to do their business to do what they're trained to do and what they've spent decades doing. Yeah. And, and Mark, you know, the, the emphasis on the setbacks, uh, the emphasis on the, the more transparency for the industry, that bill that the governor was talking about a moment ago, it seems, you know, in light of this report, almost misplaced as a priority, given the enormous potential costs for taxpayers, the enormous costs of, uh, and, and let me, in fact, let me just ask you, what are the some of the health the air quality, some of the some of the health and environmental costs related to these orphaned wells. So any unplugged well, whether it's orphaned or idle or producing, emits a bunch of stuff. And that stuff is different per well. But what we do know in general is uh, a lot of these emit methane into the air, which is a very potent greenhouse gas. It's 85 times or so the warming impact of carbon dioxide in the short run. So that's not great. Um, there, and then anything that you pump down into a well, a lot of that comes back up. And so we know that there's benzene. We know that there's formaldehyde, these carcinogenic chemicals we know, um, you know, are emitted, uh, at, at these wells. Um, they can get into the air and can get into, you know, kind of nearby populations. If you live near these wells, there have been studies done on the impact of living, uh, near unplugged wells on neonatal development, for instance. Um, you know, you can pollute, uh, underground, you know, groundwater aquifers that might be needed in the future as, as, you know, Colorado River issues and all just the water issues are top of mind. And then there's just all of the land disturbance and, you know, soil contamination and those types of things that, you know, can be remediated, can be cleaned up, but that's going to cost a lot of money. And so we need to start making decisions about how, you know, how important is cleaning up to to us and are we willing to put all that money towards it um should we be putting that money back or that cost back on the industry Um, but these types of questions kind of come up more and more as we face you know just the public health harms of all these unplugged wells yeah going into the break we played that cut from assemblywoman wendy carrillo and we've got a tweet from Laura, who says, thank you for covering this important and timely issue. One part of the solution is AB 1167 by Assemblymember Carrillo in the legislature. That would prevent orphaned oil wells and make polluters pay. And then another listener tweets, big oil more than doubled their profits in 2022. The companies with the most orphan wells have more than enough money in the bank to pay for cleanup. Dwayne, what's your reaction to that? comment? Because I don't know that they 
doubled their profits in California. Maybe they did. What, yes. What is your take? And, and that's a, a great point. The, the Most of the companies that operate in California operate exclusively or almost exclusively in California. The exception, of course, is Chevron. Very large multinational company. And where companies like CRC, California Resources, can't draw from assets uh, out of the state because it doesn't have any, California uh, Chevron could. I, I don't doubt, but look, CRC is in one position, Chevron's in another. I don't doubt that Chevron has the funds in the global entity to pay for the remediation and the cleanup in California. I do worry whether or not the managers and executives in that chain of command have the will to spend that money here. Hmm. Well, and I wonder about the will of the governor and others to force them to pay or to uh, increase the amount of money they put forward. It's interesting to note that that French laundry scandal that the governor got caught up in when he had dinner with uh, a bunch of folks at the beginning of the pandemic uh, and wasn't wearing a mask, as we all remember, that was for Jason Kinney. Uh, who is an old, uh, you know, advisor of his? Who is also a lobbyist for the oil industry? So, you do, you see, uh, you know, how the levers of power are pulled and pushed up in Sacramento, and why it can be so tough to hold these companies accountable sometimes. All right, let's go to the phones. And again, the number to call is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And we're going to start in Marin and Vita. You're first. Welcome. Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. I really appreciate the conversation. And I'd like to lift up the, the comments from, that you just made from the tweets and the bill that's out there. And I'm just curious to understand the responsibility of the oil companies. And with Chevron, it's got to be beyond a marketing campaign, you know, about clean energy. It's got to be actually enforcement and making it hurt so these oil companies will do the cleanup, especially in Kern County, where the inequities are terrible and all the um, the elements that are seeping into the groundwater. I mean, that's going to be a huge issue for the future, and it's, California's got to pay for it now to enforce through, you know, attorneys and attorney fees, or they've got to pay for it later and do it themselves. Yeah. So I'd like to hear your comments on that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for so much for the call. Dwayne, uh, thoughts about that? And, you know, what are some of the other things? We, we talked about that bill uh, that Wendy Carrillo has, uh, AB 1167. Uh but there are other pressure points, are there not, uh, where California, the legislature, or maybe regulators could take, or even counties for that matter, like L.A., uh, could take some steps to you know, hold these companies more accountable than they currently are financially? You certainly can increase the bonding that's required. You can re- increase the amount of plugging that's required. The fundamental problem, though, is that all of the money left in the system to be made from the oil fields appears to be less than the total sum of the liabilities, which means to say that any dollar that leaves um, a California oil field to an investor is going to have to come eventually from a taxpayer. Already, taxpayers are going to be on the hook for something. 
And then every dollar that doesn't go to that liability is going to have to come eventually from somewhere else. Yeah. And that makes it a really hard problem. And Mark, when these things end up in bankruptcy court, when these, uh, you know, these companies decide it's just not worth it, so they abandon the well, where are you know, in the list of liabilities that a company faces, where do the environmental and health uh, concerns for cleanup and so on, where do they fall on the list of priorities? Not high. That's my legal analysis. You know, it's <laughs> it, the bankruptcy code is really good at what it does, but what it does is is it it's it's meant to protect businesses. It's meant to keep to to give businesses an avenue to keep operating, right? To to keep satisfying shareholders and keep jobs, which is important, you know, on an economic stance. But that really puts uh, environmental and labor liabilities down low. And those are in an extractive industry like oil, those are large and those are important. Uh, there's been work over the past couple of years in the legislature. Assembly member Steve Bennett from Ventura has been pushing uh, legislation to try to kind of increase the the standing of environmental claims in um, in bankruptcy. But yeah, it's it's low, and frankly, it's really not that difficult to shed your liabilities to another party to a new purchasing company or to, you know, the public through a government agency uh, once you're, you know, once you're converting a, you know, a, a reorganization bankruptcy into a liquidation bankruptcy. And Mark, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry may be not as powerful as they were in Sacramento a few years ago, but still uh, they do invest a lot of money in lobbying and campaign donations and so on. How hard does that make it to pass meaningful legislation or get it signed by the governor it definitely has an impact i mean when you have these big oil and gas kind of reform packages in california over the past x number of years you know the the largest hurdle was central valley democrats and you know whether that's because of lobbying dollars and campaign finance or whether that's because they have a lot of jobs uh in their in their districts that their constituents have good well-paying middle-class jobs in this in this industry you know i don't want to speak for their motivation but i think that really underscores the point that the environmental movement really needs to embrace as kind of they push for a transition to a to a clean energy future is that you can't forget workers people need people have a human right to you know to good honest work in a way to to make money and feed their families and so uh, while these jobs need to transition to something that is not, you know, slowly killing the planet, they they need to, you know, that needs to be respected in this process. And so I think that is definitely front of mind for uh, policymakers and legislators and politicians who have a, a high number of these jobs in their, you know, in their districts. Yeah. Well, maybe some of those jobs could be converted to, re, you know, environmental remediation of those sites that they've been working on. I think that's that's kind of the dream scenario. I you know I will say that's not uh, you know being a roughneck is is a, is a career. Plugging an oil well is you know is a contract, right? It's it's a short term thing. There's an end date once that work is done, and so it, it's you know not to use the term bridge, but it, you know maybe it's a bit of a bridge. Let's spend let's actually spend a bunch of money on mm -hmm. contracts on plugging wells. Let's put these guys back to work for you know, while we figure out the transition, but concurrently all that, what that's doing is it's buying policymakers time to figure out 
how do you properly transition to the next thing? Yeah. All right, let's go back to the phones. Again, it's 866-733-6786. If you want to join our conversation, 866-733-6786. Or you can email us your question at forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. All right, let's go now to Damien in Berkeley. You're up next. Hi, Damien. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Um, good conversation. I'm sorry, but I'm a bit of a loss. If they own, if the wells are owned by property owners, I mean companies, why are they not responsible like any property owner to fix the wells and close them when they're no longer used? I'll take the answer off the air. Thank All you. right. Thanks so much, Dwayne. Is it is it just is it come back to this sort of economic reality, kind of getting blood out of a stone a little bit? <laughs> um. No, really, it comes back to regulation. Regulation has created a moral hazard where there is not an economic incentive to do the right thing. So prior to the price collapse in 1986, the standard was for companies to be required to plug their wells promptly. In Texas, we gave them three months to either restart or plug. But with the price collapse and the premium strategic value placed on production, regulators across the country wanted not to trigger a premature widespread plugging of producers. So over the, a few years, they gradually extended the period of time allowed for a well to stand idle. And since that reform in the late 80s, uh, plugging activities, decommissioning activities have been at a minimum. And also since that time, the bonding has not been updated. So we could have been, oil companies could have been along the way plugging more of the wells as they went idle and could have been saving more for the lump sum to remove the surface equipment at the end. But there was not an economic or regulatory incentive to do that. Yeah. All right. We're going to continue this conversation for the rest of the hour. I'll give out the phone number again, 866 833-6786, 866-733-6786. 733-6786, 866-733-6786. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you live near an unplugged well. What kind of concerns you have for yourself, your family? Do you work in the oil industry? What are your thoughts about how your job should be transitioned as the state's oil industry sunsets? Talking with Mark Olalde from ProPublica, Dwayne Purvis, who wrote this report uh, out today from Carbon Tracker called There Will Be Blood, Decommissioning of California's Oil Fields. I'm Scott Schaefer in today for Mina Kim. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. We're talking about a first-of-its-kind study published today by ProPublica. It's looking at the massive costs of decommissioning and cleaning up California oil wells. Our guests are Mark Olalde, reporter covering the environment in the Southwest for ProPublica, and Dwayne Purvis. He wrote that report for uh, Carbon Tracker. Again, it's called There Will Be Blood Decommissioning California's Oil Fields. And by the way, uh, if you re- happen to remember, the 2007 film called There Will Be Blood uh, starred Daniel Day-Lewis as California oil man Daniel Plainview. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is, that's a straw, you see, watch it. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. (laughs) I drink it up. And uh, Dwayne, I guess that's part of the issue. The milkshake is almost gone. (laughs) At least the nature of a milkshake, right? It depletes until it's gone. Yeah. Uh, And the the preacher in this this case took for granted that his property was going to be there forever, that it had value, it was going to be there forever. But it's just not the nature. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to have to all pay the price one way or the other. All right, let's go to the phones. And again, the number, if you want to join us, is 866-733-6786. And uh, let's see, let's go to Bloomington and Joaquin. Welcome. Joaquin, hi, um, there you go. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Yeah, hi, my name is Joaquin. I'm a... I'm a resident here in Bloomington, California, in, in the San Bernardino County of the IE. And um, well, I'm a I'm an organizer with an environmental justice organization. You know, working on these bills to, um, you know, protect our communities from pollution and from the damages and impacts of the oil industry. And um, you know, I, I would just like to say that, you know, there there is a concern, you know, of the transition and how it's going to impact workers and industries, but you know, um, I feel like it's time to not think about how this is going to impact the oil industry and start focusing on how this is impacting and has impacted communities in the front lines for for decades. You know, it, it's a fact that the oil industry has known about its impacts to the environment since the 70s. And since the 70s, they spent billions on billions to lobby and to stop um, common sense bills from from taking place to to put more protections, more regulations on their industry. Hmm. You know, just in 2022 alone, you know, they spent over $124 million. Um, in the first quarter of, of 2023. They spent $9.4 million. And, and, you know, I hear this, this, this um, you know, this point that, that's brought out about how, you know, in the, in the next years, the, the cost of remediation or plugging is going to be more than, than um, their profits. But, you know, for years and years, they've made a lot of profit, and they've used that to fight against the communities that are asking for protection. And you know, now it's too late, and they, you know, it's time to to step up. You know, our our, our government to step up to make sure that that they are paying. You know, what what is necessary. Yeah to make sure that those communities are protected. Yeah, thanks, Joaquin. And uh, Dwayne, let me ask you, you know, talk about stepping up. Uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law that uh, President Biden signed included about $5 billion to pay for decommissioning. 
which sounds like a lot of money, but you know, given that it's going to be four <laughs> times that much just in California, it's kind of a drop in the bucket or a drop in the oil well. Um, but I'm wondering, is that something the oil industry lobbied for? Do you happen to know? Because it gets them off the hook to a certain extent, not clearly, clearly not all of it, but it's, you know, it's a step in that direction. I don't know that they lobbied for it, but they didn't oppose it. Um, there was a, a lot of resistance on other things like the so-called methane tax. Um, I don't, I don't recall hearing that they were supportive of it, but merely not opposing it is a is a strong measure to get some uh, towards getting some fast. Yeah, uh, Mark, would you add anything to that? Uh, you know, covering the sort of the more of the politics of it for ProPublica. Yeah, I would just say you know it's it's something where you just look at the incentive there for the industry. I mean, that's four point seven billion dollars that the industry writ large doesn't need to pay now, right? Um, you know, and I, I will say, you know, I will give the, the industry a bit of, of due, you know, that I was speaking with someone from the California Independent Petroleum Association, a trade group the other day and reporting the story. And they were talking about how they spent $400 million in California last year, uh, plugging and abandoning and remediating wells, uh, w- which is which is great, right? And I applaud them for every dollar they spend following the law, frankly. But, you know, the question then gets back to what we started the hour with of, well, who should be paying? And that $4.7 billion in many ways is a taxpayer subsidy. And orphan well fees in general are in many ways a, a taxpayer subsidy. So we're already, as taxpayers, starting to foot the bill here. And kind of this whole conversation is just, well, where do we want to put that, right? How much of this do we want to put back onto the industry? And how much of this do we want to, uh, uh, do we want to, to fund ourselves? Yeah. All right. Joaquin, thanks so much for the work you do down there in the Inland Empire, and thanks for checking in with us. Let's go to L.A. now, to Los Angeles. And uh, Steve, welcome. You're next. Hi. Hi. Um, I I don't have a comment. I had more of a question, which is you're discussing plugging these oil wells and making it sound like it's really expensive. But the oil wells all have a steel pipe that goes all the way from the top to the bottom. And I'm wondering, why is it so expensive to plug that up? Why not? can't you just plug it at the top? Um, and what makes this decommissioning so expensive? That's my question. Okay, great. Yeah, Dwayne, you want to take that? Sure. There are a couple of things that add up to make it expensive. And you're right, that it is a, it's functionally a very simple process. The problem that we have that costs, uh, causes costs to increase are when things go wrong. But the, the most fundamental answer is that a small cost a lot of times is a very large cost. So there are some wells in some locations that can be plugged for $25,000. But by the time you add in contingency and surface issues, you're going to increase the total cost by about fourfold. And that's on the low side. So you take that and you multiply it across uh, estimates are around 2.3 million unplugged wells in the country. And all of a sudden, a little bit, a lot of times becomes a lot. Yeah. And the 21 billion is just here in California. Correct. Yeah. Steve, does that respond to your question? Yeah. Yeah, that does. Thank you. Yeah. All right. You bet. Uh, All right. Let's go back to the phones and uh, let's hear from Greg in Palo Alto. You're next. Welcome. 
Yeah, I don't want to throw out the word corruption, I guess, but I'm just I'm curious listening to this. You know, the oil industry has been going for, well, let's just say, 50 years. And it's hard for me to believe that elected officials and regulatory bodies in the state of California didn't realize at some point, hey, these wells are going to dry up. Okay, what are we going to do with what's left? Uh, I just don't understand that. Hmm. I mean, these people dropped the ball so badly, it's unbelievable. You would think that the people who built the wells who did that and made money off of it are the people who should be taking care of this. But they're not. Hmm. So how in the heck did that happen? Yeah. I mean, we just have corrupt people and just incompetent people at the state level? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Mark Alalde. Uh, you know, there are regulators uh, who are supposed to be keeping an eye on these things. I mean, is this just something that just hasn't, you know, been a priority? I mean, obviously it hasn't been a priority, but, you know, is it is it, as as Greg says, corruption or too cozy, being too cozy with the industry? I mean, what's going on? Well, there's definitely a coziness there. They're definitely very comfortable. Um, the oil regulator, which until a few years ago was called Dogger, was was known to be very friendly to industry a, a bit of a revolving door of certain parts of leadership uh going between oil companies and and uh, uh the regulators you know some of that of course makes sense because that's where the expertise is you know you really shouldn't run an oil regulatory agency if you know you don't know how to plug a well but that being said there was definitely too close of a relationship that's there's been a lot of reform work done in the past five or so years by um, uh, legislators from Santa Barbara and Ventura. And so their mission has been changed uh, a bit, but exactly, that would, it would changed after a hundred years of operation. And so we're kind of still dealing with that legacy. And I, I think the other point here is, you know, the oil industry, you know, I, I just kind of applauded it for some of the work it's doing in plugging wells. But let me take a moment to, to kind of talk about their, you know, they make a, a number of disingenuous arguments. And I think if those are taken up at face value by regulators, um, you know, then that can cause problems. One of the major ones that's been a big problem recently, and we started to talk about a little bit, is kind of this idle well point. Uh, and Dwayne was talking about the idle well uh, reforms and regulations since the 80s. You know, the, the industry will say, hey, don't force us to plug all of our wells right now because prices are coming back. We're going to we're going to use these wells later. We're going to drill for more oil, make more money and put that money back into plugging. And that's frankly not true. You know, uh, I did analysis a few years ago that found that once you've left a well idle for 10 months, there's a 50 percent chance it ever comes back mm. online ever. And so, you know, it's it's. We, we do know that some of these tactics appear much more to be stalling and kicking the cleanup can down the road as opposed to actually uh, business interest ideas. Yeah. And I, I don't know, Dwayne or, or Mark, which of you is better to answer this, but Dwayne, as far as you know, is there any kind of a revolving door between the industry and the regulators? I mean, are people, do people go back and forth between those two, the, you know, being the watched and the watchdogs? I haven't seen people go back and forth, and I'm not very familiar with CalGym is the name of the organization. Now, the former head of CalGym had spent the early years of his career at Chevron. Mostly I see people in Texas and other places go from industry to regulation or vice versa. But what happens more than just the individuals is that the, the regulators tend to operate out of sight of the public. They're the regulators are deeply involved with the the industry communicating with them raising funds from them for their campaigns for example in, in texas we we elect our regulators and this naturally builds a close relationship it's uh 
it's a dynamic that's well known in political circles. It's called regulatory capture. Well, Greg uh, in Palo Alto, thanks so much for the call. Here's a comment from Gina who writes, I live in Benicia, California, which is home to Valero's refinery. Much of the city budget relies on revenue from Valero. As the oil industry goes away, the funds will also go away, and the schools, police, and other services will diminish. It's not just the politicians who rely on revenues from the oil industry. That is uh, certainly the case and it's, you know, that's one reason why, especially we talked about transitioning jobs from the oil industry into more green sectors. And, uh, you know, there is that push-pull. Uh, and it's hard to give up, hard to give up that money that is sometimes funding your schools, your libraries, your fire police, and so on. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Fermina Kim. Well, Dwayne Purvis, you know, looking ahead to the next few years, um, you know, we see this industry in California in decline. What are you going to be looking for in terms of, especially as it relates to this issue of the cost of shutting down the wells, decommissioning, and uh, cleaning up? I mean, what what are the steps that you think are the most important uh, in the next uh, few years? Your question is about what should be done at a policy level? Yeah. The, the first question that decision makers have to answer is whether to do anything at all. They could move slowly, which is functionally the same as doing nothing at all. And uh, they could move for, forward under the logic that the oil companies have provided an essential service and the public should subsidize, uh, contribute more to their profits for the valid, important security uh, purpose that they provide. Well, and we're going to find reject out. That. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we're going to find out today. I think to get at least, at least to get a little answer to the question of, and see how yeah. uh, that Carrillo bill does in the Assembly, eleven sixty-seven. It could die in the Appropriations Committee. Uh, so we'll we'll find out just how much appetite there is for, you know, holding holding these companies more accountable. Um, Mark, I'm wondering, you know, in terms of other like count at the county level, it's not just the feds and the states. I mean, counties could exert some authority. Uh, have either Los Angeles or Kern counties done anything as far as you're concerned or other counties in, in different states? So, you know, the, the majority of oil and gas production in California is in Kern County and, you know, Kern County is supportive of oil, right? And so they've, they've, there've been lawsuits that have tried to kind of slow the permitting kind of coming from environmentalists and whatnot, but as far as the county political structure has gone, it's been, you know, it's, it's tried to encourage the industry and, and uh, approve as many permits as possible. Uh, Los Angeles County, uh, Los Angeles City, Culver City, you know, these kind of local jurisdictions have gone a different direction. You know, oil is just really not that important to, uh, to Los Angeles in, in any meaningful economic sense at this point. And so they've gone a different direction and are trying to kind of do uh, pass ordinance, ordinances to make uh, oil and gas production a non-conforming use or those types of things, which would, you know, uh, speed up uh, the, the closing of these sites. Whether or not, though, that that results in companies just declaring bankruptcy, walking away and saying, screw you, you plug these wells, or, or whether that actually leads to, you know, industry saying, okay, fine, we'll do it and clean up their own wells more quickly, it, I think is, it stands to be seen. Um, but we are seeing some movement uh, from, from Los Angeles. You know, they, they did, uh, they were more active on the buffer zone question than elsewhere in the state uh, as well. Uh, 
Um, but you know, a lot of this, typically uh, this much of this goes through the state level. Um, if you're looking around the country. And Dwayne, what would it take to change sort of the economic equation? I think you used the phrase earlier uh, that there weren't enough economic incentives for companies to do the right thing and clean up here. What would change that? I don't know any good way to make it profitable. When we plug a well, we are literally putting money into the ground. Now, the Exception to that is the idea that some well bores might be repurposed. There's uh, there are just a few ideas floating around. They won't be applicable to the uh, to all the wells in the state, um, but there are a few ideas around that could provide some economic incentive to put a plug in the bottom of the well. And use the top part of the well for something else. Yeah, would that help with you know all the leakage of methane and other toxins that are being emitted from these wells? Yes. Would it put it to an end? I mean, to what extent would that you know solve the well, problem? To to re depending on the the kind of reuse, but the the most of the reuses of the wells would put a plug at the bottom of the well bore and isolate the place where the oil and gas comes into that steel pipe. And then the person using the well well bore would continue to monitor it and would know if there's a failure in the seals. Yeah. Um, Mark, just a few seconds left. Um, Are you seeing any models in any other parts of the Southwest that you cover just uh, quickly? Uh, Not, uh, you know, not fantastic models. We're seeing, like we talked about, uh, these financial assurances increased in Colorado, which is you know, probably the best you can do in terms of changing the incentive. Um, but this really is uh, is an issue, you know, around the country. New Mexico, for instance, they get 25% or more of their general budget for the state from oil and gas revenue. And so, uh, you know, once, once you're so tied and so dependent yeah. on that, there really is a disincentive. Uh, so we need to kind of break that tie if you really want to. Yeah. Um, compel cleanup. Yeah. All right. Again, the report from Carbon Tracker is called There Will Be Blood Decommissioning of California's Oil Wells. Thanks to Dwayne Purvis, who wrote that report for joining us, and Mark Olalde, who covered the report and covers the environment more generally in the Southwest for ProPublica. Gentlemen, thank you both very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks to my guests and thanks to all of our listeners. I'm Scott Schaefer. In for Mina Kim, you've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.